Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Good Friday morning to you. Well, not not good Friday, but happy Friday to everyone. Coming up here on the weekend, ingesting another Thursday night football game, which ended up being a little bit better than what we thought midway through that thing. It was a slog there definitely in the first half, and then the Ravens change gears to take over in the second half. I'll get into that in a lot of detail. Actually, a decent amount to talk about in this game. Not only what happened, but going forward, injury ramifications, playoff ramifications, all that sort of stuff. Uh, We're going to start with that, and then we're also in the second half of the show. Mailbag's getting pushed off again. Sorry, mailbag question givers. I appreciate those. I'm logging them. I will get to them maybe after the trade deadline since the NFL has been having some activity near the trade deadline Uh, because we're going to do trade talk in the second half of the episode, which is kind of my bag, quite honestly. It's like the offseason sort of stuff. It's the nerd stuff. Uh, Kadarius Toney, of course, but then also I didn't have a chance to review James Robinson trade, which happened early in the week. So we'll get back. We'll look back at that and we'll also look at the Robert Quinn trade. Also going to the Eagles. I know those those last two were labeled as blockbusters, but you know I like to ju- judge the size of the and the impact of the trade by the trade compensation coming back. Not exactly in the blockbuster category there, but I think it is for Kadarius Tony or you know decent, exciting, potential blockbuster. I would say there, but a ho- also a high likelihood of being just a bust, um, and that's all priced into it. I'll get into. All of those details later. But first, we are going to start with Thursday Night Football. The GOAT versus the future of the league is how this game was marketed to all of us here. And the GOAT struggles once again. And an unlikely star, or maybe a likely star, uh, comes forward here and could be a big part of the Ravens' season, depending upon how long Mark Andrews is out going forward. Second and seven. Jackson surveys under pressure, throws, and it's in the back of the end zone. Hold in there by likely touchdown. Boy, that rookie is having some <laughs> night. He sure is. Yes, that rookie, Isaiah Likely, was having quite the night there. Mark Andrews leaves with a shoulder injury, likely steps in. Finishes the game with six catches for 77 yards and that touchdown where he tiptoes, dances, um, keeps the feet in at the back of the end zone, working well in there, showing this natural ability, especially. He has a good shake in man defense, but I think he also has a really good sense of when to sit down and to find holes there in zone defense. We'll see how long. We'll see how long Mark Andrews is out for, but uh, Isaiah Likely, who was a preseason star, has now shown in the regular season, leading the team in routes run, 37 of 45 routes after Andrews went down. Um, Again, five, I mean, sorry, 11, uh, seven targets, six catches, 77 yards, extremely efficient with the targets. He was given five first downs on those six catches. So a chain mover, a really big part of the fact that they were able to win this game. But a bigger part, of why they were able to win this game. According to uh, the numbers here, and this is going to float right into the 
number of the game for me. And that number of the game is 195. So what is 195? That is the second half yards for the Ravens on 24 designed rushes. 195 yards just on designed rushes. I'm not counting a couple of Lamar Jackson scrambles that happened in the second half. He only scrambled twice the entire game. Um, But this is really what won the game for the Ravens, is grinding it out on the ground. And what's especially interesting about this number is in contrast to what they were doing in the first half. I'm not sure what was going on. They Maybe they thought they were facing the Bucks defense from prior years because in the first half, the Ravens dropped back the pass 32 times, seven designed runs. In the second half, uh, 11 dropbacks, 24 designed runs. And that's when they controlled the ball, marched up and down the field, and were pretty much unstoppable with Gus Edwards, Kenyon Drake, Justice Hill mixing in there. And then, of course, Lamar Jackson himself uh, with some of those design runs and being very productive in that area. That was really the story of the game. And again, when it comes to like this Bucks defense, that's also part of this. They're like the flip side of this number of the game here. And this is this is not looking good. The run defense for the Bucs is the biggest difference really in this team, I would say. I know the offense is struggling. I get it. But one of the biggest contrasts from this team is they took what was an ultimate strength for them. Just an incredible strength. Remember, the Bucks defense, especially if you play fantasy football, for the last few years, if you are going up against the Bucs, your running back is going up to the Bucs, you're like, oh, whatever. I might as well sit them. If they can't catch passes, I might as well sit them because they're not going to be able to generate anything on the ground. Let's look at EPA per play against design runs going back in time uh, for the last handful of years. 2019, Bucks first, best uh, run defense by EPA per play. 2020, first again. 2021, second. So imagine this, first, first, second in those last three years coming into this season. Just tremendous. I mean, incredible numbers, really, for anyone to be able to maintain that sort of level this season. 24th bottom 10 team against the run. We saw what the Panthers were able to do with some explosive plays last week. This week, it wasn't like explosive runs. It was just running the ball at will. If you look at the success rate numbers for this game, uh, the, the, the Ravens total success rate was up in the 85th percentile, but then it's run success rate was also way, way up there. It was up in, the 85th percentile, it's EPA per play running the ball in the 90th percentile. So that was really the story of the game, uh, which illustrated by the number of the game. Now let's get into all of the the, the big numbers here. Tampa Bay, um, they were two and a half point favorites in this game. Finishes Baltimore winning by five points, 27-22. The adjusted score a little bit tighter. I'm actually surprised by this. 30 to 26 Baltimore. There are a few different things that play into this. I mean, the biggest play of the game, again, this is a game devoid, especially on the Ravens side, devoid of big plays. The biggest play of the game was the muffed punt. They're on early in the game. Um, they're, you know, the whole, we've seen this multiple weeks in a row here where we have one of the blockers on the gunner get pushed back into Jalen Darden. The ball bounces off of him. It rolls forward. The Ravens get an automatic you know, inside the 10 type of possession there. That was the biggest play of the game. 
So that's one reason which flips over. Now, the Ravens did miss a field goal, a blocked field goal from uh, Justin Tucker, but it was a pretty long field goal. So it wasn't you know that big of a deal. They did suffer the a long DPI, which was a big-ish sort of play. So there were some things that went against the Ravens, too, that were more on the flukier side. But generally, that one play is an eight, nine-point expected points flip, those muff punts. They're absolutely enormous because you're going from a first and 10 on one side to a first and 10 in excellent field position on the other side. It's really harder to have a bigger swing of EPA than that other than, you know, a pick six on, you know, first and goal or something like that. That would be a bigger EPA uh, swing. But this is almost as big as you can get these these muffed punts and those sorts of plays. So that's why it's a little bit closer. Another reason it's a little bit closer is, like I mentioned, the Ravens were very successful with all of these running plays, but, you know, nothing on the explosive side, really. They had some higher EPA type of plays because of situational, like, conversions. Like, for instance, that Isaiah Likely touchdown um, was a big conversion getting into the end zone. You get some high EPA. But looking purely, let's go to the, um, the old school stats here. Looking purely on a yards basis, if you look at the top plays by yards gained, including penalty plays here on offense, there's a 51-yard pass to Mike Evans, so that's the Bucks. 44-yard pass to Chris Godwin, again, Bucks. 40-yard pass interference call to Scotty Miller, Bucks. Uh, 28-yard pass to Mike Evans, a 23-yard pass to Mike Evans, and then finally we get down to Mark Andrews with a 22-yard catch so that was their only 20 plus yard play in this game was mark andrews and that's another reason why their score is a bit lower here the adjusted score is a bit lower is they just didn't really show anything with the explosive plays which kept tampa bay in the game as long as tampa bay was able to make a few plays believe it or not brady who had a better epa per play than uh lamar jackson in this one uh you know including that pass interference call uh there were some dropped interceptions on both sides so those play into it a bit and there were actual drops for the Bucks, which give them a little bit of a boost. There were some receiver drops there that give them a little bit of boost where there weren't on the other side of the ball. Although, if I'm going to think what's like, what was the real adjusted score using my brain on top of what the model is telling me, it's probably a bit wider. It's probably more like the five, six, seven points that we saw because of that last touchdown from the Bucks scoring it on fourth down. You know, it wasn't like the most impressive sort of touchdown there at the end of the game, as far as how it builds into this. Um, what else do we have to pull, pull from this game? First off, I'm interested in the Bucks backfield going forward. They can't run the ball. Okay. They still can't run the ball. They haven't been able to do it for a while. 16 attempts in this game, 42 yards, 2.6 yards per carry. I thought Rashad white had a little bit more juice than Fournette in this one. He was slightly better. But, you know, only they only forced one missed tackle. So only one broken tackle in this entire game. And they're just not blocking well. And I don't want to lean too far into, like, a running back is going to fix the running game sort of thing. But I would like to see a little bit more of Rashad White because I just feel like he's better in the passing game, too. I know Fournette's not a, a zero in the passing game. He's got pretty good hands. But his start-stop ability, um, what he can do there, I'm a little bit... Uh, more incredulous of he can really be like a top end receiving back. And we saw a lot of that from Ashad White in college. So that'll be interesting there. The one thing that might be holding this back a bit, and I don't think it matters that much from the Bucks' perspective, but remember they gave Fournette a contract where if they're going to cut him after this season, they want to turn things over to Rashad White. 
there's still going to be out $2 million in guaranteed salary next year to Fournette. And then they're going to have another $3 million of dead money that'll go off of there for prorated bonuses. So it'll be about a $5 million dead dead money if they decided to move on from him next year. You know, maybe they can keep him around and let White be a little bit more part of that offense, but I probably want to see that a little bit more going forward. Uh, second thing coming away from this, I just want to highlight Mike Evans a little bit here because this is part of a larger conversation about Mike Evans. He's one of my favorite dudes out there. And I just feel like he's a guy, again, 123 yards in this in this game, six catches, uh, four first downs on the six catches. Now, he did have 12 targets, so not the most efficient from a target basis. But if you just look at like what he did when he posted up uh, Marlon Humphreys on that long 50-yard reception, there's just few guys in the league who can do that. There's few guys who are like legit 6'4", 6'5", and 235 pounds in the NFL. And I think what he brings even goes beyond what some of his stats are. But just I don't want to get too much of an aside here, but I do think it'll be interesting in a few years to hear like what is the Mike Evans Hall of Fame sort of conversation. He only has had uh, one second team all pro to his name. So he's not, you know, he's not getting into these all pro teams and other things that seem to be what's probably going to get you to that sort of level of a hall of fame conversation. But just to go over some of these numbers that Mike Evans has over his career. So he's got, this is nine seasons in the NFL. Assuming he gets a thousand yards this season, which he's on pace to do, that'll be nine straight years of a thousand yards every single year in the NFL. Now, some of these years were only five, 10, 15, 20 yards over a thousand for those seasons, but still he got there uh, while, you know, having some injuries, which didn't keep him out of a lot of games, but probably hampered him in a lot of games so far this year. Currently, Evans sits at 55th of all time in receiving yards, 33rd all time in touchdowns, and he's 11th in yards per game. Inflation for the fact of the offense he's playing in, you know, the era he's playing in for sure on that. But if he goes on and plays another three, four years, and there is some evidence that bigger players actually age more poorly going forward, uh, bigger receivers as opposed to smaller receivers. But still, if he plays another three, four years and he's productive, at least through those three, four years, he was a young, he's a young prospect coming out. Uh, true, you know, junior season and a, and a youngish guy coming out. He's not that old. Let's see how old is Mike Evans right now. I probably should have had this beforehand. So Mike Evans is 29 years old. He's not even 30 years old yet, right? And he's already, like I said, 55th in yards, 33rd in touchdowns. He could easily get into the top 20, top 15 in yards and easily into the top 10 in touchdowns by the time he's done with his career. So we're talking about a player who'll be top 10 touchdowns, top 15-ish in yards uh, at the end of his career. And I just think he brings a unique element to the game that you have to account for defensively that may not even show up into the numbers, the numbers of what he's been able to put up. But again, what he's put up is the 11th best yards per game, 76 yards per game during his career. Um, it's not that far off. Like DeAndre Hopkins is only a yard and a half more than that. And DeAndre Hopkins is a guy who's got, you know, multiple AP first team all pro selections and is probably seen as being on a different level than maybe someone like, like Mike Evans. Um, takeaways from this game, as far as the quarterback play here, I thought both quarterbacks were okay, but not great. Again, both had turnover worthy plays that, which did not end up being interceptions. 
Uh, Brady still looks off and not in sync with that offense. He graded in the 50s here. But if you look overall this season, and I was a little bit surprised to see this for him, um, like where do these guys rank on the season? Brady's actually ninth in PFF grading, 13th in EPA per play. Not nearly as bad as you'd think, which goes back to my point that this Bucks running defense and the lack of the running game, uh, those have really been the two things that have been, have been killing them this season. Brady, not good. Not at the high level when he was leading the league in grading last year and top five in efficiency, but not falling off so far that we can really blame everything on him so far this year. Jackson, seventh in grading, 10th in efficiency so far this season. Maintaining, doing pretty well, but obviously way, way off of what we saw to begin the year where he had a ton of touchdowns and long runs that were boosting up those numbers and those efficiency. Other players to highlight in this game, we already talked about Isaiah Likely, who was one of the stars there uh, offensively. If we're going to go to the defensive side, there's more talk here coming out of this game about Devin White. I mean, he wasn't awful in coverage. He did allow that touchdown to Kenyon Drake, but it's been a thing we've seen for multiple seasons. And it's I'm going to give the nerds the victory on this Devin White discussion for the fact that we've always been like, hey, this guy's not a great coverage player. And he was being seen on a team that has Levante David, a much better coverage linebacker. He was being seen as maybe, you know, the best linebacker in the NFL after that Super Bowl year. And Todd Bowles had a comment a few weeks ago about players living off of the Super Bowl. I think he was definitely talking about Devin White. Players who may be living off of that Super Bowl reputation and not coming through and doing the work and putting up the numbers that they need to put up this year. Uh, And especially in coverage, Devin White has had some problems. The other player you might be talking about is Lenny, Leonard Fournette, who, of course, was, you know, out of out of shape in the offseason and everything else coming into this year there. there, You know, another problem for the Bucs. And again, this came into play more in the second half when the Ravens, you know, it's, it's hard to get pressure and to sack the quarterback when they're not passing the ball. But still. We're talking about three sacks here, some pressure offensively, but no one on this team, a team that includes, you know, Shaq Barrett, William Golson been playing better. Uh, Vita Vea ends up with the sack. He probably had the best sack uh, of the day, uh, beating the rookie Linderbaum in the center there, but not enough pressure being generated by, by this team and by, and by this defense where they have players here. They have players a lot. I'm not sure how much they're missing in Dominican Sue on the inside, but now, you know, guys they're bringing in for situational pass rush like Carl Nassib and others are just not not doing enough uh, to bring pressure here. And when you can't stop the run, it's going to make your pass rush even that much more ineffective because generally teams are going to be passing from good, favorable, down and distance situations. And that's an important factor in determining whether you get pressure and whether you get sacks is simply uh, like third and longs just generate those types of plays and they're just not getting their opponents into third and long nearly enough without having the uh, running defense there to hold them down. Okay, ramifications going forward. We'll see on the Bateman and Andrews injury. I'm definitely worried about Bateman because he had this midfoot sort of injury, and he's out again with a foot injury. I'm hoping it's not like a Liz Frank sort of situation that was maybe a partial Liz Frank that he ended up coming back from. I'm not sure what he's going to do going forward. Demarcus Robinson and others, Devin DuVernay, stepped in. And played well, but that's going to be an issue for them going forward. If you don't have Andrews, you don't have Bateman. You have likely to fill in for Andrews, but you know, just not anything to do explosive plays from the wide receivers. This is a big leverage game from a playoff perspective here. 
Uh, both teams moved 13% in their playoff chances. Obviously, the Ravens going up, the Bucks going down. The Bucks, we've been holding on to them in the power rankings pretty highly based on priors coming into the season. They're starting to fall now. They're down uh, to the bottom of the top 10 after being in the top five earlier this season. Playoff decline down to 58% to make the playoffs, which is really wild for them because they're a team considering conference, considering division that looked like no matter how poorly they played, they were going to be able to walk into the playoffs. But now the Falcons are half a game ahead of them. And it's basically division or bust for the Bucs now. With the Cowboys playing well, with the Giants playing well, with others that are going to compete for that last playoff spot, whether it's going to be the 49ers or it's going to be the Rams eventually, or it's going to be the Packers or the Vikings, those guys. So many teams in the mix for those wild card spots that – you know, they're 53% chance to win the division, 58% chance to win the playoffs. So some quick math there. It's only a 5% chance they don't win the division and they're able to get in via wild card. We just do not see that happening very often. Um, Falcons, again, leading the NFC South and a little tidbit here on the NFC South. Only division in the NFL where every team in the division has a negative point differential this year. Uh, at least somebody has a positive point differential in all different um divisions here and the Ravens on the flip side they're up to 80% chance to make the playoffs now looking in great position coming off of this quick Browns victory in division beating the Bucks on the road in a game that you were a two and a half point underdog huge 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 week for the Ravens despite the fact that I don't think people feel great about how they're playing but in this NFL uh, logging any victories that you can get especially against other playoff contingent teams is going to move you way 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 up there all right, before I get into the trade talk, and we'll get into all the trade talk, and again, this is really my bag here, I would say, the trade analysis sort of stuff. Let's pay some bills. Let's talk about DraftKings first. DraftKings, the official sports betting partner of the NFL, make every play feel exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game, only a DraftKings Sportsbook Using code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And also, Western and Southern is a sponsor of the Unexpected Points podcast. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. All right. Let's go a little chronolo uh, chronologically on the trades here. I'll get to Tony um, last, and I'll spend the majority of the time on him. Don't worry, guys. I know you want to hear uh, about Kadarius Tony. Chiefs fans excited. Giants fans maybe excited to be rid of him, honestly. Uh, we'll start with James Robinson. So James Robinson, conditional fifth. Six, which could become a fifth. Um, obviously, with Brees Hall going down, this is something that they need maybe just a body, and he is a reliable player. Um, 
terms of production, if you want to just look at the raw stats of what he's produced over the last two seasons, there are a few players who have produced that much. Um, and for the last, or sorry, sorry, since his rookie year, there are a few players who have really produced as much as Robinson had. So I get it. My concern is, and I think when you look at this type of offense, and I don't want to get into the particulars of exactly how these different Shanahan schemes are being used, but in different offenses for them, like Brees Hall was their explosive play weapon this season. Um, if you go and you say, okay, let's look at everything the Jets have done this entire year and figure out offensively like what what they're getting from Brees Hall versus what they're getting from others. Yeah, it's just been like really strong numbers from Brees Hall as far as the biggest plays that they've gotten so far this season. I mean, he has a 79-yard touchdown. He also had a few longer runs of 20-plus yards that he's had there. He's had some big EPA type of plays this season, touchdowns that he's scoring. He scored a touchdown on third and 10, which was ended up being a pretty big one there on a reception. So he's a threat out of the backfield. Um, He's just littered if you look at their top EPA plays this season, especially if you narrow it down to Zach Wilson, where Zach Wilson is the quarterback or what has happened in games where Zach Wilson has been there, because you did have some more explosive plays, honestly, with Flacco than you had with Zach Wilson. But if you if you narrow it down to Zach Wilson, it ends up Brees Hall on the passing end being the guy who had the biggest plays so far this season. He had that 79-yard catch, remember, uh, coming out of the backfield with Zach Wilson. He's just been their offense to generate stuff when they can't consistently move the ball. Have not been able to consistently move the ball at all this season again especially with Zach Wilson who was grading in the 30s here amongst quarterbacks and his EPA per play is also in the bottom 10 so far this season um they really you they really needed Hall a lot and I know I'm not like a big running back sort of guy and I would always prefer to say let's generate explosive plays to the passing game versus the running game but hey they were eighth in their EPA running the ball this season versus 22nd in success rate. So that just shows you how much explosive EPA they were getting out of that. Whereas they're around 30th when we're talking about the passing game. So can James Robinson replace that? I mean, no, that's the problem. I know Robinson had a couple of long touchdowns earlier this season, 30 plus yard touchdowns. But then I look back to his rookie season where, you know, he had over a thousand, well over a thousand yards and he only had two 30 plus plays that entire season. He did it in the first couple of weeks this season. He is a guy who ran, it was an undrafted free agent. He ran a four, six something coming out of college. He's a big dude, 230 pounds. So he brings that element, but still he's a four, six guy coming off of an Achilles tear the year before ETN was making him, you know, look like he was in the dust. Uh, He is middling when it comes to his rushing yards over expectation. According to next gen stats, Brees Hall was near the top. Travis ETN is near the top with the same offensive line that Robinson had. Michael Carter has not been good, but I think Carter can provide a little bit more. But again, Carter is a guy, he's a smaller running back, and he is a guy who ran in the four fives. He's not a fast guy, especially adjusted for his size. So I would be interested to see, again, it's not a huge investment in James Robinson. Like when Schefter sends out the tweet and he says it's a blockbuster, it's like, calm down, dude. It's a day three pick, and they need bodies out there. 
I'd be interested just to see who else they can get who can be like a Brees Hall type, maybe even like a Raheem Mostert type that we've seen start to emerge in Miami running a similar defense. Tevin Coleman, I don't know how washed he is at this point in his career, but he was uh, he came back for the, um, you know, he played for the 49ers with Jeff Wilson. And then after the Christian McCaffrey trade, they didn't need him anymore. They let him go. You know, he looked okay. He looked okay when he was playing out there. He can play in the pass game. Also, he had three catches for 44 yards against the Carolina Panthers in that game that he played there, including a touchdown there. I don't know how much juice he has left, but I think like he's even a more similar type of player to a Brees Hall or Raheem Mostert. He played for the Jets before. Maybe they bring him in and he could be a little bit more of that explosive play element, you know, getting a little bit difficult now that he's 29 years old. But hey, uh, James Robinson is not really going to be that guy going forward so that's really my my issue with this Jets team is what are we going to do offensively without that explosive play element and it's going to get hard to uh, manufacture that offensively Zach Wilson's the guy who's going to need to step up regardless of James Robinson being there or not okay second trade we can talk about let me take the didn't realize I still had the uh, justice score stuff on the screen second trade we can talk about is uh, Robert Quinn going to the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's something that's going to be labeled as a blockbuster-ish sort of trade. I mean, I guess it's closer to being, like, if you want to call it a a, a great trade, a heist by the Eagles, you know, uh, good old uh, Howie. Howie and his great moves here. Uh, it's going to be cheap. I mean, the Bears are paying $7.1 million of Robert Quinn's remaining salary. They signed him for a lot of money. Um, he'll be on the minimum for the rest of 2022. They have redone his contract as part of this to allow him to leave into free agency after the year is over. So this is purely a rental for the rest of this season when it comes to um, the Eagles. And they're giving up you know, a late a fourth-round pick. So day three pick. Fourth-rounders can be okay, though. Um, I, I do, I do kind of like fourth rounders, but still day three pick, not a huge thing. This is not a, I mean, much, much different caliber of player, but even when we come to this rental sort of market, the edge rental market, remember last year, they gave up a second and a third round pick the Rams to get Vaughn Miller on a rental at the end of the season. Um, they could also get a comp pick back though, when Miller left, cause he was at the end of his contract here because they're redoing Robert Quinn's contract. And it's not the original terms of the contract. The Eagles will not be able to get a comp pick for Quinn. I don't think he would have like generated that great of a comp pick, but the Rams were able to get a third round comp pick back for uh, Vaughn Miller because of his huge contract that he signed that he signed when he went to uh, the Buffalo Bills. So how good has Quinn actually been this year? Because I think there's always a disconnect there for a player who last year had a career-ish sort of year, at least when it came to uh sack numbers and after being somewhat disappointing to start the season um to start his sorry his time in Chicago the year before he came on a lot this year he has a very nice uh 69.9 grade I'm sorry that's last year 69.9 this year it's actually gone quite a bit down but you know Von Miller looked a little bit down before his trade so he's down to 43 grade this season it's really been run defense, which has been the big problem there. If they're using him with the Eagles 
the Eagles have a lot of bodies over there um, that they can rotate guys. He's not going to be, you know, a full-time player. He's probably not going to be a rundown sort of player. He's not going to be a second and short player. He's not going to be necessarily even a first and 10 player. Uh, although maybe sometimes he's definitely going to be a third and long type of player and a pass down player. So the Eagles will have a, a lot better time mitigating his issues as a run defender, which you couldn't really hide him before when he was with the bears by just being able to play him a lot more situationally this season versus what he'd done last season. I mean, he only has one sack this year. We only have him logged at one sack. He had 19 sacks last year. So, you know, there's, there's ability to get back to that level. But again, we're talking about a player who is 32 years old. So we'll see. I think the price is fair. I think it was a great move for the Eagles. I think it was a fine move. Again, I like fourth round picks for the Bears. Uh, you didn't get out of salary, but you don't really care about that necessarily. You're going to have a ton of salary that's going to open up next year for them. Ryan Poles had to do something. I know it's not great for the locker room. Um, and it's not great for a team when you look up in a conference that doesn't have a lot of competition. Uh, a team that's three and four coming off of a big, huge, biggest victory of the year against the Patriots. You don't like to see pieces being traded off, but I still think you kind of got to do it as Ryan Poles. He was put in a really tough situation, couldn't do anything to start this season to really help. Um, we had a choice. He could have tried to like help and build things up this season and just give away the ability to really reset next year. And that's he chose the reset next year. He's getting a ton of grief for it because of how they don't have any players and they're actually competing. But we still have them as less than a 10% chance to make the playoffs because of the underlying strength of the team and what will end up happening there. And so many other teams in that wild card mix that are likely to be better than the Bears. Uh, tough optics, though, uh, trading away a player who seems to be a beloved player in the locker room at three and four. But I think it's a good move. I would say this is a win, classic, like win-win type of trade. It's just you're not going to get the benefits of it uh for the bears until we come around next season when you have that pick to use all right let's get to Kadarius tony this is what we all want to talk about all want to talk about Kadarius tony here and this compensation is a little bit more significant third round pick sixth round pick the third round pick that the um that the chiefs are giving up and teams love trading away these free compensatory picks that, that they're getting is actually the compensatory pick. One of the compensatory picks from Ryan Poles leaving. They had two compensatory picks where they get to, you get two third round picks for this diversity initiative. If you, you know, develop someone and they move to another team. I mean, I like trying to do these diversity initiatives. I have other ideas, which I've discussed in the past about ranking teams by diversity and then ordering them in a particular round by that and highlighting everyone. Um, I don't really like, the, I think like they're actually causing more problems than you're trying to solve in some ways because the compensatory pick, um, situation has been so much the rich getting richer over time. Like you have players who are highly valued, were put in the right spots. Um, their marquee has gone up their marquee status because they played on good teams. They leave, they make a lot of money. And then those good teams get compensatory picks for them. I mean, the Ravens, the Rams, others have just been living off of these compensatory picks for years. Now this new initiative for diversity, like in some ways it's even more of the rich getting richer because teams don't know what they're doing when they're, I mean, you can't like say, Oh, I'm going to hire a GM, an assistant GM from a bad team because I know that they've actually been buried there and they could do well. And this is why they could do well 
And no, you're just like, you know, even less than you do about a player that you're bringing in when it comes to a coach or a GM from a bad team. So it's just going to be the good teams like the 49ers. We saw this with the 49ers, right? Uh, Robert Sala, they got picks for him. Um, It's just going to be like good teams that are going to get draft picks because people from their front office or people from their coaching staff are leaving to go coach other places under, under this diversity initiative um, to get these picks. It's really going to be the rich get richer. And you get two picks too, two third round picks, which is the highest possible compensatory picks. Um, anyway, that's a, that's a different rant about this compensatory pick system that I don't re- that I don't like um, because like the chiefs and the Rams and again, the 49ers use those picks to get Christian McCaffrey, some of those picks to get Christian McCaffrey. Like these teams are just getting free picks. The best teams in the NFL are just getting free picks to use to establish themselves even more. Um, So this pick is going to be at the end of the round. So the way that the round is structured, how the compensatory picks work by round and how these specific compensatory picks work is you have the full round, which goes up to 96. The 96th pick is the last pick of the round, you know, 32 teams times three. Data scientist, Kevin Cole, helping you out on this. Uh, 96 picks. Then you have the normal compensatory picks that come from players, the top players getting signed to the top, top contracts, leaving a team, top, top contracts. Those are next. Then after that is this new initiative, which we've seen in the last few years, of the compensatory picks for the diversity initiative. And there are a lot of them. I was shocked to see how many there were in this last year's draft because the Ryan Poles pick that the Chiefs had from this draft was 107 was the number. So that's the type of range we should expect for this. But if you look at these picks that came came through um, as part of this, they call it 2020 Resolution JC2A Selection. That's a pretty complicated way of just saying the minority coaches and general manager development picks. There were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven picks last year based upon this. Um, the Chiefs, I'm sorry, the Chiefs were pick 103. So one of, that's that was their pick last year. I guess they probably just, you know, flip some coins or have some sort of lottery system to figure out the positioning in this round, but it was picks 99 through 105 last year were part of these picks. So it's going to be somewhere in that sort of range, probably what this pick is going to be for the Giants. And the Giants also get the sixth round pick. So when I added the value of the sixth round pick to a pick that you would assume to be around 100, um, it ends up being like an early third round pick, the total value, a pick in the 60s. That's pretty sweet. Late 60s, uh, early 70s. That's a pretty sweet deal. This is a sweet deal for the Giants. That would be my main takeaway from this trade. I know everyone wants to talk about what Kadarius Tony is going to do on the Chiefs and with Andy Reid and his potential and his explosive power and how they can scheme him up. And that's all great stuff. Like, I'm, I'm here for that. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I'm also here for, as a nerd, uh, being able to trade away a player who – for you has like no value almost at this point. I mean, we're talking about two coaching staffs, two front offices. He's burned through. Um, he even said, you know, he tweeted out the fact he's like, I'm not really injured guys. Yeah. Like they're just done with him. They're done with Tony. Okay. And the fact that you could get what would be the equivalent of an early third round pick for him at this point, where 
he hasn't, you know, he played a handful of games last year. He's done nothing so far this year. He's had all of these issues um, as far as injury concerns, not showing up to any voluntary sort of workouts. Uh, The word that I hear, which is some of it's been reported and some of it I'm hearing from my own sources, hashtag sources, my, uh, my inside sources here. Uh, These are kind of like third hand sources, of course. I'm not getting any firsthand information uh, when it comes to the giants is that he just doesn't do anything outside of when he's not in the facility. Football-wise, Tony. Um, he's supposedly pretty good when he's in the facility. Like, he works. He does what you ask him to do. He's doing whatever. But when it comes to working out, playbook, um, all that sort of stuff outside of the facility, in the offseason, days off, all that sort of stuff, zip. Like, zero. Tony's doing zero. And that was one of his concerns coming into the draft is that he's, you know, he has this, he has this rap career. Uh Young, young Joker. You should look him up. <laughs> you should look him up. He's got some YouTubes. He's got someone made a joke, which is that he has more uh, Spotify songs on Spotify than he does career receptions. So, so, so far in his career and he's into other stuff, which is, you know, good, good for him. Uh, what are the exact numbers here? Yeah. 53 songs on Spotify versus 41 career receptions. So, you know, those sorts of things, which I think can get better in the right situation. You know, maybe he just wasn't into things, you know, can get better playing with Mahomes, can get better playing with Andy Reid, you know, buying in players, the Chiefs going back to, you know, Tyreek Hill and bringing in Josh Gordon is a little bit different situation than Tyreek Hill. Uh, You know, Tony now is a little bit of a player who has some issues. Willie Gay, who they drafted, you know, some character stuff going on there. Like they are not allergic at all to bringing in these types of players. And they have made some of them successful. I mean, obviously, Extremely successful in the case of Tyreek Hill, but that's a very different issue for what he had versus maybe guys who were just looking at the football and a player who seems to be, you know, marginally into playing football, (laughs) potentially, potentially on this one. So the fact that they learned all this, they are desperate for wide receivers in New York, right? They're desperate for wide receivers. They are a six and one team that's going for the playoffs. And you're willing to get rid of them. That shows you that you're very, very, very low on this first round player. So there must have been another bidder. There must have been another bidder in this situation. This is what people don't understand sometimes when they look at situations like this and they say, this guy has almost no value for the Giants because they've written him off. So therefore, how do they get value in a trade market? It doesn't matter if you have two bidders, all you need is one more bidder. As long as you have another bidder, it does not matter what the player is worth to you because those two bidders are now bidding against each other. They're not bidding against you and how you value the player. Okay. Maybe they can both think they can, you know, game you because they know you don't value the player. But at the end of the day, if they value that player, they're going to keep going up. And Tony has this weird like valuation. I was surprised because he when he came out in 2020, you know, he ends up being a late first round pick or middle-ish to late-ish, not very late, but uh, uh, first round pick. And it was one of those situations where he was a like, will he go in the first round or not? So I thought that was maybe a little bit of a reach by them. I'm just not into these gadget players. Uh, they can work out though. They can work out. But if you look at, you know, your... Curtis Samuels, uh, Paris Campbells, those sorts of guys, you know, that they work out sometimes, they don't work out other times. Tony has a lot more juice, I would say, than those guys do. Um, But 
I'm just not into gadget players as much as guys who can stretch the field and do more traditional wide receiver things. But he he went earlier than I would have expected. And of course, we had Urban Meyer doing his Urban Meyer thing and just saying, hey, I wanted this guy. But then we took Travis Etienne later, later on. So he just flat out said that they would have taken him if he made it to them. The Packers were reportedly in on Tony also later in that in that first round. Didn't fall that far. So that's like at least three teams who wanted to take this guy in the first round. So there's probably still lingering like draft evaluation, especially in a season like this, when it's become so difficult to make plays down the field. There are probably a lot of guys who are like, I just need some instant offense. A lot of teams. I need some instant offense guy. You can just get the ball into his hands and maybe get an explosive play. And Tony fits that profile. So there was definitely other bidders, at least one other bidder. And that's how we got the price to being what it is. Because this is a fantastic return. I know you say, oh, you draft a guy for a first-round pick, and now you're getting back a third-round pick. How is that great? Hey, things – shit changes, man. This new, 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 All this new shit has come to light, as the dude would say. The dude um, from Big Lebowski would say, new shit's come to light when it comes to Tony and how you value him. And making a great play based upon all that new shit is a good move for uh, Joe Shane there. So, so props to them. Uh, making this deal. How is Tony going to be used though? So how is he going to be used with the Chiefs? I think it's a mistake to assume anything with Tony when it comes to like, he's going to fill this role um, next year. You know, uh, Juju's on a one-year contract or MVS they can move on from. So then it'll be Sky Moore, who the Chiefs don't seem like they're that in love with, honestly, from how they've played him so far. So it'll be Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony will fill those roles. Penciling Tony in for anything is highly speculative at this point. Remember, this is a player who has missed the last couple of years, a combination of injury and definitely discipline slash behavior sorts of stuff that he's had going on. Missed a lot. Uh, Going back to college, he was a four-year player, didn't really do that much. His first three seasons was suspended as part of some, I'm not sure what it was exactly, but, you know, unbecoming behavior of something was suspended. he also had another thing, ran an AR-15 in the car when he was pulled over in Florida. Uh, luckily for him, I think they they, they just let it go because it's Florida. So you can just like, <laughs> you could just roll around with two a for AR-15s and, you know, driving with your knees if you're in Florida. So there's a, you know, it's not great, right? I mean, whatever. I'm not, you know, not illegal, but not great. Uh, the rap thing, you know, he's, he's, he's super into uh, doing all of his stuff there. So there's definitely some stuff which may keep him off of the field anyway. So you shouldn't be penciling him in for anything. This is a speculative type of trade where you're saying the, let's just say it's a coin flip, whether or not he ends up becoming a useful player for you. I think it might even be lower than that, honestly. Uh, Might be more like a 30% chance he's a useful player. And what you're hoping for is that he's so useful in the circumstances that he is a useful player, that he's worth it. You know, so he's like worth more than a first round pick type of type of player that he can contribute on a low salary if he is useful knowing that most of the time it's not going to work out i think that's how i would view this situation i know andy reads there all that stuff but you know players wash out it doesn't it doesn't it's not always the case with him um he is not a field stretching type of guy so like mccall hardman has been more of a downfield guy that they can use mvs has been more of a downfield guy for them he's about a 12.5 yard a dot for them uh, Juju is really the guy that's been the underneath person. So I think with Juju getting older, about maybe being gone next year, Kelsey, you know, I know Kelsey still looks fantastic, but you know, 33 years old approaching 
mid thirties. He's going to slow down a bit. Um, ultimately, Tony, maybe he can play down the field further, but ultimately, you know, he has been a guy with a 6.5 a dot in his career, which is very similar to the, like a Juju Smith Schuster type of type of role. Um, maybe like how good is Kadarius Tony? I think a lot of it is based on the fact that he has now a two yards per route run has been a stat that's been used a lot. It's a good stat to quote for players who haven't had a lot of usage because their yards, their catches, again, only 40 something catches through a year and change here in his NFL career, um, who aren't going to look that good that way. You can say, well, when he's been on the field, which isn't a lot. And even when games he's played, he's not on the field a lot. They don't use him a lot. Even that fantastic uh, Cowboys game that he had last year, he was only on the field for 24 routes. It wasn't like he was out there a ton. So for players who are not getting much in the route usage, you can quote the yards per route run. And he's two yards per route run, which looks really, really good. That's an outstanding number. That's like a Jamar Chase type of number. But... If you want to play this game, and I know this game is dangerous where you like take away one game and what do you have? So I know this is a dangerous game to to play that, but let's just be devil's advocate here for for you know, maybe Tony isn't that great. He only has two he has two games where he he only has one game, really, that Dallas game where he graded really well. Uh in that game, it was about eight yards per route run. You know, he put up 189 yards and 10 catches on 24 routes. You take out that game, and again, I know I'm telling myself if you take out this is not the best way to do analysis, but at least it's an interesting thought experiment. If you take out that game, his yards per route run goes down to about 1.1, 1.2, which is eh, which is meh type of type of numbers. So he hasn't been consistently like productive when he's gone out there. Of course, he hasn't been consistently on the field either, so it's hard to judge him. But you know, to end last season. He was getting gains with 19, 25, 27 routes to end last season. And still in those games, one catch for nine yards, seven catches for 40 yards, four catches for 28 yards. It wasn't great. In a not great offense. You know, that Giants passing offense was bad. Was bad last year. Don't get me wrong. So that's 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 part of it. That's the way to think how good he is. Like how well can Andy Reid elevate him? I think is a big part of the discussion. And this comes into play with the McCaffrey part of this too going to the 49ers, you don't want to get caught in a trap where you can say that Andy Reid and Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan, like they can elevate these talents. I agree. But that doesn't mean like every trade is justified because they're going to Andy Reid or Kyle Shanahan. Okay, let me just state that again. Like how many players could you point out to in a position of need, right? How many like talented, put talented in quotes because I don't know, you know, talented players in a position of need going to the 49ers or going to the Chiefs? Would you say, oh, this isn't a good fit? No, you're always saying it's a great fit. You're saying it's a fantastic fit. Now, there are, you know, ways of usage for Tony, which I think in particular can work well with Reed and how he is so creative with jet sweeps, screen passes, things like that. I I agree. Okay, I agree. But still, we don't want to get caught in the trap of just saying every Chiefs or 49ers move is justified. Think of like CEH being taken in the first round, right? It was like, oh, imagine what Andy Reid can do with CEH. Um, everyone is not justified. Sky Moore coming to the Chiefs. Who knows who, who, who he'll end up being. But still, it was like, oh, he's going to the Chiefs. He's going to be fantastic. Andy Reid. You never know, 
right? And number two is if a coach is like enhancing value for a broad range of talented players, then you also have to think about like opportunity cost in a way that doesn't mean that you give away lots of compensation because that means you could go, you could get an alternative player and also elevate them. So you shouldn't give away a lot of compensation for this one particular player if you can get another player and potentially elevate them. It's not a justification for giving away more draft capital. The fact that you have a great offensive play caller and schemer who can maximize this player because that offensive player and that's, and that and that schemer can maximize a lot of players and other players would be taken off the field to put this guy in other players could be traded for instead of this particular player so you don't just justify more trade compensation for great schemers if anything i thought the chiefs had a nice little mix going here where they were able to just pick off players like they say okay let's just get mvs and juju let's just get them on these one year contracts prove it deals Maybe they'll flip out after the season with an improved outlook. We'll get some comp picks, and then we'll just go pick off some other wide receivers who aren't doing so well. Patrick Mahomes, he's starting to prove that you can just put some new pieces around him. You don't need this uber-talented Tyreek Hill necessarily. Maybe you need Travis Kelsey, but you, don't, but you don't need him necessarily to have a great offense. I mean, it helps. Don't get me wrong. But it's a way of team building. I thought they might figure out in like a new team building sort of thing where you could just pick out these players, bring them in, rehabilitate them, get their value way up, send them out again, uh, get those comp picks back, you know, keep on going. So again, I'm not counting on Tony to do anything. They may still continue to do that going forward, but at least it flies in opposition to that a little bit as far as how they will use him. But I do think he could be a high, high end player for them. I just have lots of concern. I just think we need to build into all of our expectations, a higher than 50% chance that we get nothing from Kadarius Tony as in the chiefs or, you know, like a few um, jet sweeps or pocket passes or other things where they, where he ends up having some highlight plays, but just doesn't end up being a consistent usable player. You can count on through the playoffs in the off season in following seasons. It's probably less than 50% for that. Um, so then that's how you should really view the risk reward of this particular deal. All right, everybody. Hope that was helpful. Again, I'll get to mailbag. Go ahead, drop me mailbag. Uh, also, let me know. I did an interview with uh, Sam Schwartzstein earlier this week. I'm going to try to have him on more. I may do some more interviews going forward, but let me know how much you guys missed or did not even notice missing the Monday night football reviews. I did have some people reach out to me for the adjusted scores on that. I think I mentioned it during the episode, but I didn't highlight it necessarily in the same sort of way. So let me know what you prefer. Like if I need to dedicate maybe a segment to the Monday Night Football review that I'll do, that'll just be me. Um, and then also potentially bringing in a guest as part of like a two-part sort of sort of thing. Because I, I want to get more into to the guest stuff because we're getting midway through the season. We can kind of like update our takes um, and get some good bouncing ideas off of some of the smartest football minds out there who I follow and love um, and kind of update that to try to come up with the best predictions going forward. But in the meantime, drop a thumbs up here, rate, review the pod, uh, mailbag questions. Go ahead and leave them in the comments on YouTube or in the Apple reviews. I'll check them out there. Uh, other than that, I'll be back with you on Monday morning with all of the adjusted scores, all the clips that I put in here, the new numbers that I'm displaying on YouTube. Check that out. Um, but I appreciate everyone tuning in, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Thanks, guys.